Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. My name is Pat Murphy, Head of Environment Knowledge Transfer with, with Chagask, and uh, our series is, is supported by Dairy Sustainability Ireland, Food Drink Ireland Skillnet, and the National Rural Network. And this morning, we're delighted to, to be joined by Daniel Hen. Daniel is a, P, a PhD student based in the University of Limerick and working in conjunction with, with uh, some of our Chagas colleagues in uh, Salahed. Daniel, you're, you're very welcome. Thanks, Pat. Good morning, everyone. And I'm also joined by Andy, Andy Boland. Uh, Andy, you're very welcome this morning. Daniel, your your topic this morning is uh, is examining pathways for for climate neutrality. Uh, uh, sorry, exam and exploring the the national herd and grassland management to meet climate uh, targets. Uh, it's a a big contentious issue. Uh, how did you find yourself uh, in Ireland uh, uh, studying in relation to the, this topic? Yeah, I've definitely come to learn that there's a. There's a yeah, I think a few interests that uh, that uh, that are clashing there in Ireland uh, at sometimes, uh, but it's very interesting, and I'm I'm very happy that I'm you know I can I can be a part of uh, of the challenge that the agricultural sector is now facing with uh, with reducing the emissions and trying to to find some solutions for that. Okay, I suppose without further ado, then I might get you to share your presentation and, and begin your presentation. Thanks, Pat. I think most of us are aware of the, of the massive climate challenge that Ireland is facing now. Um, so over the past just over 20 years, we've seen two different two different developments in Ireland. Uh, first of all, an extensification period from, from the late 90s to around 2010-2011, uh, when intensification started, especially from, from the dairy sector, post-EU milk quotas. Um, and we've seen that that emissions are very closely connected to total cattle numbers, which have grown from about 6.6 million in 2011 up to 7.3 million in 2020. At uh, present, there's a 25% emission reduction target um, compared to 2018 values for the agricultural sector, which, which means that emissions lower than they were at the bottom within this time series in 2011 are required. Uh, and another important thing to note is that here in in this chart you can see with the uh, with the yellow lines that uh, that the land use land use change in forestry sector is also a net uh, net source of carbon, uh, whereas it is a carbon sink actually in most other European countries, uh, and is closely connected to to the grassland resources used to um, use for agriculture in Ireland. So that um, adds a little bit of uh, of a challenge to. To the agricultural sector, I suppose. Just shortly mentioned the goblin model there. Um, so this has been developed over the past few years. Uh, it's a biophysical land model that uh, aims to investigate uh, scenarios to achieve climate neutrality um, within Ireland on, on different scales. So most importantly for, for the agriculture and land use sector, so the so the FOLU sector as a whole, I suppose. Um, it consists of 10 different sub-modules. Uh, at, the, at the top left there, you can see animal production. And these animals uh, feed on something, of course. So we have uh, module two, which are concentrate feeds that is very closely connected to crop production there at the bottom. And then we have grass production and fertilizer use. And these are the, the five modules that I'm going to be talking about in particular today. 
um, especially because the kind of the outcome from the grass production that you can see there at the top between modules uh, three and six is land available for other users. Uh, so land sparing opportunities from current grassland areas. And within the model, these can then be converted into uh, rewetting of drained organic soils for agricultural purposes, uh, new forest areas, so afforestation, wood use, as well as bioenergy crops uh, and also biogas. Uh, and some of the results that uh, that Colin Duffy and everyone else who was who was working with Goblin also in the, in the sequester project over the past few years, some interesting results that they found um, is that uh, in total, they randomized scenarios, um, a total of 850 of them. Uh, and there were three different outcomes. So there at the, at, the, at the top left, you can see in the legend that uh, the three outcomes are either the failure to achieve net zero, uh, to achieve net zero within the Afolo sector or to even achieve net zero on the national scale, uh, which means that the Afolo sector kind of would um, would create enough uh, enough of a carbon sink to account for all other sectors as well. And then in, in figure A at the, at the top left, we can see that to achieve net zero for the Afolo sector, um, we are we require large reductions within dairy population beef population, as well as uh, upland and lowland sheep, um, going down from the current, for example, for dairy, uh, from the current 1.5 million to, to around 700,000 on average for these uh, successful scenarios. Um, and then we can see at the, on the top right um, that about 2 million hectares need to be spared uh, and about 1 million hectares of them are forested. So that would be about a quarter of all current land, uh, of all current uh, grassland, I suppose, in Ireland. Um, and there's a few caveats to these results that I will I will come back to at the end. Um, but this is something that has been discussed uh, quite quite controversially, I suppose, over the past few weeks. Um, and and one of the outcomes from these randomized scenarios. Um, so I want to go a little bit more into, into how Goblin works, uh, starting with the cohorts model. So that will be on the, on the animal production side of things. Uh, this is a model that is comprised of 21 total um, cattle cohorts. So we started at the top there in the adult stage where we have dairy cows, bulls, and then beef cows. And then we move towards six, what we call grand cohorts. Uh, so based on gender and genetics, uh, these grand cohorts are built uh, and we have Dairy, dairy, so pure dairy calves there on the left, uh, DXD, male and female. Then in the middle, we have uh, dairy beef crossbreeds, DXB, also male and female. And then um, on the right, pure pure beef calves, uh, BXB, also male and female. Uh, and then we have for all of these, uh, for all of these pre-adult stage cohorts, we have uh, three different age groups. So these would be below one year, one to two years and uh, over two years. Uh, and all of these cohorts were developed using real export and slaughter data, as well as uh, uh, cohort-specific life weight gains based on average slaughter ages and weights uh, from the Irish Cattle Breeding uh, Federation. And moving to, to the grassland model, which is very, very closely connected to, to these animals. Um, we start there on the left side on a per hectare level, where we use yield response functions combined with inorganic fertilizer rates and also organic fertilizer rates uh, to get grass yields. And we apply a small soil yield gap, uh, which means depending on the soil type in Ireland, uh, one to three, uh, a little bit of productivity is, is deducted, I suppose, the further we 
we go down towards the, the group three. Um, and these grass yields are for three different farm types. So we have dairy, cattle, and sheep. And then we have three sub grassland types in all of these, which would be pasture, silage, hay, and rough grazing. So we end up with a total of 12 different average yields. Um, with these, we move down um, towards the farm level where we use uh, data from the National Farm Survey, average farm herds, uh, and calculate their, first of all, their energy requirements based on the IPC, IPCC tier two approach, uh, and subsequently end up with uh, the dry matter requirements of these average herds. Um, and then we combine that with uh, dry matter production based on average areas and the yields that, uh, that I just mentioned, and we end up with a utilization rate or, or grassland use efficiency. On the farm level that we then assume to be the case as well for the national level. So there we, uh, we look at national herds and their dry matter requirements uh, and then combine that with the average yields, with the utilization rate, and we end up with the total grassland areas uh, that are calculated by the Goblin model for Ireland. So for the scenarios that I'm going to be talking about now, uh, we moved away from the randomized scenarios and um, came up with nine specific scenarios that explore the effects of changing herd compositions or grassland management practices on six different outputs. These would be total cattle numbers, protein output, the climate impact, and water quality, fertilizer use, as well as then the, the total grassland area. And one thing that should be emphasized um, is that emission, emission mitigation and offsetting does require land, what we've seen from, from the results uh, that I showed earlier, whether that be for afforestation, for wetland restoration, or also for green energy production, you know, be in the form of uh, of, bio, of um, energy crops or wind energy plants, you know, uh, solar panels, all of these do require, do require a certain amount of land, some more than others. So to start with the first scenario, we established a 2020 baseline. So these are the, the total cattle numbers, 6.76 million. And in this, in this figure, you can see the distribution between dairy, dairy calves, dairy, dairy beef calves and beef, beef calves that would be born in this uh, scenario year. And we go to the protein output and there uh, we, we accumulated the protein content of milk and beef. So for milk, we, we assumed a protein content of 3.5%. For beef, we assumed 23%, um, which, which leaves us with a total of 442 kilotons that are of, of pure protein that are produced in Ireland. And we have a split of about two thirds of milk and one third of beef contributing to that. Uh, then we look at fertilizer utilization, uh, pretty straightforward. We have, we have N, P, and K. Then we look at uh, global warming potential. So that would be the greenhouse gas emissions specifically from the agricultural sector, given as CO2 equivalent. So in 2020, we would have 20.3 uh, megatons, according to the Goblin model. Uh, and you can see the, the split between methane, nitrous oxide, and carbon dioxide, where even though the unit that we use is carbon dioxide equivalents, there's, there's very, very small outputs of actual CO2 from, from the agricultural sector, and the majority coming from methane and then a smaller proportion from, from nitrous oxide. Other environmental impacts that we looked at were, first of all, ammonia, so very closely connected to, to air quality. Uh, and then for water quality, 
nutrient leaching. So we, we look at nitrogen and uh, phosphorus that would be, uh, you know, entering water bodies through, through the soil. And finally, our grassland areas. So 4.01 million hectares for Ireland in 2020. We can see that uh, dairy, dairy areas make up for about, about 25%, cattle areas for 50%, and then sheep farms for another 25%. So now coming to, to the first two scenarios that we looked at, these are concerned with uh, dairy expansion, or you could even say dairy specialization, uh, specialization I suppose. So, so I mentioned it earlier, we've seen a strong growth of the dairy sector due to a combination of policies and market forces, especially since 2010, uh, where we can really see the, the green lines of the dairy cows starting to pick up. Uh, and what we can also see is that beef cow numbers uh, have declined, but not at the same rate as we've seen an increase in, in dairy cows. So that means that uh, their total numbers have, have risen since then. So just to come back to our baseline, uh, for that, we were working with 1.55 million dairy cows and then 915,000 beef cows. Uh, and now for scenario two, we're looking at two, uh, two million dairy cows and 470,000 beef cows. So that would, so that means uh, keeping total cow numbers uh, stable. And then for scenario three, we're looking at 2.25 million dairy cows and zero beef cows. So that means a little bit of a reduction of total cow numbers. Uh, and I can preface all of these scenarios by saying, that really what we were trying to achieve with these scenarios is uh, kind of establishing the borders of, of, uh, of what is possible with these scenarios. So, so you might find that, uh, yeah, I, I think we're, we're, we're never going to be looking at 2.25 million dairy cows and, and zero beef cows at the same time. Um, so I, I just want to preface this by saying that we're, you know, we're establishing the, the borders here with these scenarios. Uh, so scenario two, strong dairy expansion. Uh, so 2 million dairy cows and uh, and then just over 400,000 beef cows, um, which means that uh, also in all, in all of these six boxes now, you can see on the left side, the results from the scenario year and then on the right side, uh, or sorry, from the baseline year on the left side and then on the right side from, from the specific scenario. So we can see in this one, total cattle numbers remain roughly the same. Uh, we get a, an increase of about 80,000 tons of protein, uh, largely coming from milk. Uh, and then we see slightly smaller fertilizer use, uh, more or less the same CO2 equivalents being emitted uh, and also nutrients leached. And then we would end up there at the, at the bottom right with about 170,000 hectares that would be spared from, from this scenario. Uh, and you can see that, uh, that the split slightly changes between the three uh, three farm types. So we would see that dairy makes up quite a bit of ground at the expense of, of cattle farms there. Then uh, for scenario three, the dairy maximization, uh, we can see that in line with total cow numbers declining, there's also uh, about a, just over 600,000, uh, sorry, a decrease of, of total cattle numbers. And we can see that now there's, there's no more beef, beef calves being born um, and uh, and the split between calves is about 50-50 for for dairy dairy and for dairy beef. Uh, protein output increases even further, and now we can see that about about 80% of the protein would be coming from milk, and about 20% coming from beef. Uh, so for this scenario, actually, we see that 
compared to the baseline, milk output increases by just under 50%, while beef output declines only by uh, just about 20%. So that's why we have this total increase. Uh, then, we, then we see fertilizer use declining uh, by about 50 kilotons there for nitrogen uh, and also for phosphorus by, by, by about 7 tons. Um, for the environmental impacts, we see that uh, about 1.1 megatons sparked from, uh, from agricultural emissions. And we can see that, that this scenario uh, decreases ammonia emissions by about 14 tons uh, and actually puts us very close to, um, to Ireland's uh, emission, emission target for ammonia, or I suppose EU, EU guidelines for, for ammonia emissions. Uh, when we're looking at total spared land now, <clears throat> This scenario ends up uh, ends up sparing just under 600,000 hectares, uh, and we can see that the area of dairy has almost doubled and is now a larger proportion compared compared to uh, cattle farms. Then, for scenario four, we looked at slaughter age reduction, um, and in the Climate Action Plan 2021 that was established by uh, by the government of Ireland, um, it is called for for a reduction of the average slaughter age from about 27 months to 24 months until 2030. So a very ambitious target. Our calculations uh, suggest that between uh, 2010 and 2020, the slaughter ages across all cohorts were reduced by, by a maximum of up to 50 days. Uh, so that means these targets actually almost aim to double uh, what has been achieved over the past 10, 10 years, I suppose. So that's what our scenario four investigates, reducing the average slaughter age by 90 days, uh, with an important caveat that the slaughter weights actually remain the same. So that means that we have a, we have a massive increase in in terms of average daily weight gain. Um, yeah. So the results are a decrease of total cattle numbers, and that's mainly because uh, the because the the average slaughter age has decreased. So we see fewer cattle above two years that are you know, that remain on grass before, before they are slaughtered. Protein outputs almost the same, uh, just because we keep these slaughter weights constant. Um, and then we can see, uh, we can see that fertilizer use went down a little bit. Uh, environmental impacts roughly stayed the same. Uh, and then in terms of, in terms of grassland use, uh, we see about 190,000 hectares that would be spared from this scenario, mostly coming from, from cattle farms as well. Uh, then for scenarios five and six, we looked at the export of male dairy dairy calves, um, which are often considered as a, as a byproduct of milk production, just because they have relatively slow weight gain uh, compared to, obviously compared to, to pure beef calves, but also compared to, to the crossbreeds, uh, these dairy beef calves as well. So for scenario five, we investigated uh, a scenario with no export of male dairy dairy calves just to maximize the beef production in Ireland. And for scenario six, we assume that all male dairy dairy calves are exported to improve the efficiency of beef production in Ireland itself. Um, and uh, for 2020, so kind of the baseline year, about 30% of these male dairy dairy calves were exported within the first, I believe it's six weeks after their birth. Um, so, so just to give you a bit of context there. So for the first scenario, the export minimization, um, we can see that the total cattle numbers slightly increase. 
uh, we can see a very little effect on in terms of uh, increase of protein production. Um, I think this emphasizes, uh, yeah, that that uh, beef production is just not that efficient uh, from these dairy dairy male calves. We see an increase in terms of fertilizer use as well as um, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, and then overall we end up with about hundred thousand additional uh, hectares of grassland that would be required uh, for this scenario. Then we move to the export maximization. So now all of the cows being exported, which leads to about uh, 550,000 less cattle. Um, and obviously all of these coming from, uh, coming from dairy dairy. So that, so that proportion going down there a bit. Uh, we look at a decrease of about 5% in terms of protein output. Um, and then, yeah, this, this kind of 5% decrease we can see almost across all results. Um, so fertilizer use, greenhouse gas emissions, as well as uh, nutrients leaching and ammonia emissions. And then we end up with about 200,000 hectares of, uh, of spared land from that scenario. Uh, so for scenario seven, uh, we move to, to sex semen, uh, which means altering the, the gender ratio of born calves in this context. Um, there are some, some problems with, uh, with conception rate uh, at present. So some, some Chagas figures are suggesting that these are about 10% lower than conventional semen. Um, that's not something that we take into account. So, so for this scenario, we, uh, we, we are hopeful that this, uh, this difference in conception rate can be overcome, I suppose. Uh, and there is potential to contribute to lowering the number of dairy, dairy male calves and also increasing the ratio of male births for dairy beef and beef tea, uh, beef beef to enable faster weight accumulation, uh, just because the, the male cattle uh, accumulate weight ever so slightly faster compared, compared to the females. So for this scenario, we looked at altered birth rates of 75% female and 25% male for dairy dairy, and then vice versa, 75% male, 25% female for dairy beef and beef beef. Uh, and the results here actually came to came to us as a little bit of a surprise, uh, because as you can see, there's almost no change at all between these uh, between the scenario and the baseline here. So about a one percent increase, maybe you can you can say uh, across all of the results. So protein, fertilizer, yeah, very slight increase in emissions, and more or less the same for for ammonia and for for nutrients leaching. And then we end up with about 40,000 hectares, give or take more um, from this scenario. So, so very interesting results here. Uh, then we looked at grassland use efficiency. I, I alluded to it earlier in, in, the, in the grassland tool of, of the Goblin model. Um, so these are the results that, that we get here. Uh, grassland use efficiency does describe the proportion of produced dry matter on farms that is actually taken up by animals. Um, so we can see here that, uh, that the green line at the very top, so uh, our dairy farms uh, and our cattle farms there at the bottom uh, with, the, with the, black, um, the black line, they follow a very similar pattern um, with, the, with the difference that dairy farms consistently have about 15 to 20% larger grassland use efficiency compared with cattle farms uh, is, what, is what the Goblin model is uh, suggesting. So our scenario eight would be to improve the grassland use efficiency on cattle farms by about 10%. So that would mean halfway closing the gap towards dairy farms. 
Um, so the results there, uh, no changes in, in cattle numbers, no changes in protein output as these remain the same, obviously. Um, then also very low impact for, for emissions, both greenhouse gases and also uh, ammonia and also nutrient leaching. Uh, but the important bit here on the right, so we have uh, we have about 10% less fertilizer use, and we end up with about 310,000 hectares that would be sparred from uh, from improving this grass and use efficiency, and all of that coming obviously from from cattle farms as well. Uh, then for our final scenario, uh, we're looking at combining all of these scenarios. So um, that means 2.25 million dairy cows, zero beef cows. Uh, we have a 90-day reduction of uh, the average slaughter age. We have uh, a, a full export of all male dairy dairy calves. We also have sex semen. And then we have uh, we have the 10% increase in grass and use efficiency on cattle farms. Um, so where that takes us is uh, through a decrease in total cattle numbers of just over 1 million. So we're now we're at uh, roughly 5.7 million there. Uh, and we can see that the split is, is vastly different now from what we've seen before. Um, basically, only female dairy dairy cattle uh, as replacements there in the in the dairy dairy cohort, and then the rest would be dairy beef. Uh, especially now, seventy five percent male because we 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 have the sex semen as well. Uh, in terms of protein, oh sorry, in terms of protein, we end up with uh, with hundred thousand tons uh, in exceeding uh, exceeding the baseline. Uh, and once again, we can see that the split is now about 80% milk and 20% uh, coming from beef. Uh, in terms of fertilizer use, we, we see a decrease of about 20% uh, across, the, across the three different uh, nutrients there. Uh, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions from the agricultural sector, we see a decrease of about 1.5 megatons. Uh, most of that coming from from methane, as you can see there, and these uh, these two figures uh, at the bottom left. Then we see a decrease of about twenty percent as well, uh, roughly a little bit less maybe, um, when it comes to the other environmental impacts, so ammonia emissions, nutrient leaching, um, and then finally we see that about seven hundred and fifty thousand hectares of grassland would be sparred from this scenario. Uh, and now, once again, dairy is the is the largest proportion, and uh, and cattle farms are, uh, are only making up for about uh, about one million hectares now in this in this scenario. So to give a give a quick summary of uh, of the results that I just presented here, um, a further dairy specialization could increase total protein output while decreasing land requirements as well. Um, and that is with the with the important caveat that dairy cow numbers rise in the same fashion or at the same speed that we see a decrease in in beef cows. Um, so so that's uh, that's important there. So for this uh, hypothesis to stand, I suppose. Um, then we see a slaughter age reduction decreases cattle numbers while maintaining protein output and also sparing land. Um, when it comes to the export of dairy dairy mark, uh, dairy dairy male calves, uh, it is favorable from an Irish greenhouse gas inventory perspective. Uh, we could see the the emissions drop down a little bit there, land use uh, getting uh, land getting spared. Um, but from a global greenhouse gas inventory perspective, maximizing the beef from dairy animals does reduce emissions, 
just because of the dual purpose, if you want to call it that, from from dairy cows that contribute obviously to milk production and then also to to beef production with their offspring um, compared to beef cows with uh, and their and their offspring, which are uh, obviously have the purpose to to produce beef rather than rather than beef and milk. Um, then we could see that uh, the sex semen scenario had very little effect on any of the investigated results. Uh, we saw that the grass and use efficiency improvement lowered fertilizer applications as well as spart land. Uh, and one important, one uh, additional important result is that about 90% of the spared land in the investigated scenarios is actually on soil groups one and two, uh, just because most of the soil group three uh, would be would be on sheep farms uh, according to the uh, according to the National Farm Survey. Um, so that means that about ninety percent uh, of spared land is is on on very productive soils. We see about a fifty fifty split between soil group one and soil group two within these ninety percent. So so a lot of very productive land that is actually getting spared here. Um, finally, my uh, uh, my final conclusion. So this uh, this will be the last slide. Uh, hope I'm not haven't gone too far over the time. Um, so the uh, examined scenarios could contribute towards 2030 climate targets, while it's also increasing protein output. They also could spare large areas of good quality land, uh, as I just explained with these two uh, two different soil uh, soil types. There, um, it could help. They could help to uh, develop uh, a more diversified bioeconomy. Uh, and for a 2050 climate neutrality uh, in the Afolo sector, there are a little bit more than uh, 500,000 hectares of afforestation required. So going back to the results that I that I talked about earlier from the Goblin model from the 850 randomized scenarios, uh, these actually do take account that uh, all methane, all nitrous oxide uh, does need to be uh, accounted for with uh, with CO2 removals there. Um, while in, in you know in, in recent time the discussion has moved a little bit away from that, and if we see methane uh, set a separate target uh, and doesn't need to be offset by by CO two removals in the same way, that leaves us with about a little bit more than five hundred thousand hectares of afforestation needed um, to achieve climate neutrality by twenty fifty for Ireland. Um, and as well. Uh, climate neutrality will require strong reductions in methane and nitrous oxide, about 50%. Uh, so that means other agricultural practices will be very important. Uh, a few examples there, there are many more, of course, uh, would be animal breeding and feed additives to, to reduce methane emissions directly from cattle. Um, and then some, some things that we're looking to investigate in, in the next projects with, with the Goblin model as well. Um, how can low-performance farms close the gap to, to medium and high performance farms. So what are some, some management practices there, especially from, from a national perspective as well? Um, and then uh, clover grass systems. So that's something that uh, a lot of work has been done on in, within Chagask as well. And at the Solohead Research Farm and some, some very, very uh, promising results there that a lot of, um, a lot of the fertilizer inputs can be reduced by, by these clover swarts. Uh, so that's something that we're also going to be investigating very soon. Uh, also improved slurry management and then uh, abated urea fertilizers to, to further reduce nitrous oxide. So combining all of these factors and the herd composition will determine future sustainable level of bovine protein production in Ireland. Yeah, thank you very much for your attention. 
Uh, and I want to thank everyone who contributed, this, uh, contributed to this project. So namely James Humphreys, David Stiles, Colin Duffy, James Gibbons, Remy Prudhomme. Uh, and also thank you to the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine for, for funding this project. Listen, thank you very much. Thought-provoking. Uh, I suppose one, one of the, the, the things that we probably, you, you talked at the end uh, uh, about some of the, the te te technologies, but am I right to assume that you had a kind of a, a static uh, level of adoption of, of a series of mitigating technologies in the, the main analysis? Exactly, yeah. And that's, and that's, uh, that's an important thing to, to mention and to discuss as well. Um, when it comes to, to I suppose, calling them purely agricultural measures that are being talked about now to, to lower greenhouse gas emissions, uh, these have not been included. So these would obviously, if, if there's a, if there's massive improvements when it comes to, you know, lowering the greenhouse gas emissions, uh, that would further lower the, the amount of, of, of land sparing that would be required. And would it be fair to kind of say that that some with some of the really dramatic uh, changes you had in uh, in the agricultural system, and I know you're not saying that these are ever going to happen. You're you're just putting uh, uh, boundaries on it just to, yeah. to just look at the figures. Uh, but the impacts weren't as as massive as as you might expect. Would that be a fair comment? Um, I, I, I suppose it depends what you, precisely which, which impacts you're talking about. When we're talking about um, the greenhouse gas emissions, no, the, the impacts are, are not very big. Uh, and that's because obviously we assume that, uh, that the grassland, for these scenarios, we assume that the grassland is just spared and then we do nothing with it. So, um, so we don't assume any kind of, of afforestation or wetland restoration, any other forms of uh, you know, uh, I suppose land use measures uh, to reduce these emissions. So only purely from the agricultural emissions, no. Um, but of course, there's there's very big potential um, that that we we don't see as a result of these scenarios to um, you know to offset emissions from the land use sector. Okay, Andy, uh, a good few questions starting to 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 come. Yeah, we remind people to put their questions uh, for Daniel in, in the Q and A. One question there, um, Daniel. You know, um, to have dairy cows, you know, rearing uh, dairy beef cows, it could lead to a lot of increase in concentrate usage. Um, was that modeled into your any of your scenarios, or you know, in the switch from? from one to the other. And I know they're pretty extreme, but um, did, did you take the amount of, or the, the extra concentrate that may be used in some of the systems? Um, yeah, we do. And, uh, and these, uh, I, I suppose, just uh, talking about the agricultural practices as well. So the, the concentrate uh, utilization per dairy cow would also remain stable. Uh, so that means that the overall, when we, when we, uh, when we change the overall numbers of dairy cows, uh, that the concentrate use would go up as well, uh, and we do have some some downstream emissions um, within uh, within the model, so or upstream, I suppose, um, from from the feed production. So uh, I suppose that would be taken into account. Yes. Yeah, there's a few questions coming in now um, relating to other issues, you know, like biochar and have you looked at, you know, dung beetles and other things? I mean, I presume you haven't looked at any of those, you know. You uh, not for these or, particular or, scenarios, no. 
no, no, no. Or, you know, how water is moving down towards the, the soil structure. You haven't looked at any of those. Yeah, def de uh, yeah, definitely one important thing. And I suppose when we're talking about uh, some of the agricultural measures that, that can be taken, you know, on a farm level, uh, you know, biochar might might have an even more impact on, on some of the some of the nutrients that are leached compared to uh, compared to, you know, lowering the greenhouse gas emissions. So that's definitely something that would that would impact uh, you know the, the environmental impacts as a whole, not just not just greenhouse gas emissions, yes. Yeah. And I I know you you've said that a lot of these scenarios, you're not advocating them, but I mean there's a there's a, a few comments on, you know, what we do with farmers when we get rid of uh, of, of dry um like you know i mean uh, those sort of scenarios are, Andy, are, you just, are, you you know, just broke up there, there for a second yeah, yeah maybe you could repeat that question please sorry there's just a few questions there just pulling them together on you know if you drop dramatically the the dry stock sector the impact yeah. on the farmers and obviously the the use of what what would happen with the land you just asked him, what would you do with the land in, in so far as you have a, a very big number of farmers involved in the beef sector and, and, and relatively a lot smaller number of farmers involved? And uh, I suppose you're, 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 not, you're not proposing that this is the direction we go, but I'll let you answer. Yes, yeah, so sorry, I, I, I'm still a little bit. So the question is, what are we doing? What are we going to do? There's, there's, we, we have. You, you, you talked about the, uh, the, the two sectors. We have, we've probably about ninety thousand beef farmers and about eighteen thousand dairy yeah. farmers. So it's not just a, a, I suppose, a restructuring of of uh, animals. It's a huge restructuring of of the, the the farmers who farm those animals. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. Yeah, and and like I said, I mean these these scenarios are. Yeah, I, I don't think 2.25 million dairy cows and, and zero beef cows is, is, a, is a plan that should be should be advocated necessarily. Uh, basically, creating creating a, just a, a large monoculture. Also talking about other aspects, of course, about of sustainability, like like biodiversity and things like that. Um, but yeah, for for these scenarios, we're we're looking at um, at the uh, basically. Strictly speaking, this would mean that uh, that a lot of this area would be converted to into dairy farms. There's a, a question about 90% of the land is very productive land that is spared. Ah, yes. Is there a danger that that land could be used to create further emissions? Um, I suppose that's a, that's the question. Then, what we do with this land? Uh, if we're talking about uh, if we're talking about wetland restoration, I suppose we're talking mostly about uh, about soils from from soil type three, you know these these organic soils. Uh, so I don't think you know that that would be anything that is that is concerned. Uh, I think the question would be would be afforestation here, uh, and I think that that is that is obviously a a, a big a big uh, yeah cl clash of interests I suppose between afforestation and be, be, uh, and between agricultural use, just because both of them are the most productive on on the. On these uh, very, very um, you know high quality soils, so um, I think uh, what 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 some of the research has shown as well, uh, at least to my knowledge, is that afforestation uh, is also the most effective on you know on on these lands. So um, yeah, so so mostly I think we would be looking at at afforestation there. Yeah, but from a 
a farmer point of view, they're unlikely to plant quite good land. So I think that's the point that the person was trying to make. Yeah, I, I, I think it goes both ways. If we're, I mean, we're we're looking at uh, we're looking at the national scale, you not the farm scale, which 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 I, I realize is is not something that you can do on your own. You have to look at the farm scale as well, and it's it's. it's you know, I realize it's it's not fair to to the farmers to to say on a national scale we have to do this. So uh, yeah, by chance uh, your specific farm now needs to be turned into a forest, and, and I mean that that can't be the solution. Um, I think yeah, I think I think uh, that's just that's just a little bit of a clash of interest there. And uh, maybe if we're looking at the, at the soil types too, which are which are not as productive for agricultural use as well, that might be might be more something to to investigate for. Uh, you know, for afforestation. And that's also something that we're going to be looking at for the next projects where we're actually uh, working more with, with more of an actual spatial resolution. So uh, not just putting putting the numbers here on average, but, but also uh, actually mapping it out and see what, what potential, I suppose, target areas are to, uh, you know, to, to for land for afforestation and uh, in general, the land use sector to create some more emission offsets. The question there, just I suppose, are, uh, it's, it's a comment or, or a question, just uh, are asking that given the the uh, impact you're talking about from very uh, significant uh, changes, are we better to focus on mitigation of the uh, within our existing systems rather than looking at massive system change? I mean, this is this is just a, the the underlying question in general, I suppose. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think only working with with agricultural emissions uh, and reducing them is is going to be the trick. I think the results are showing that uh, that we do need some emissions, and I think it needs to be both. I mean, now in these scenarios, we're always looking at look obviously looking at no improvements from from the agricultural sector. And and that's not going to happen happen as well. I think there's 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 plenty of things that are being done there to to reduce emissions. Um, but if we're if we're looking at at uh, at reductions short term as well, um, for you know for 2030 the the 25 percent reduction target, um, I think I think it can only be a, a mix of both. To be honest, if if we're not looking at uh, at reducing overall number of livestock. Uh, I think uh, both both of these factors have come together, and I don't think the, the agricultural sector um, will be able to um, to hold its own, if you will, reaching these emission targets uh, without some additions from from land use. Uh, there's a, a, a I suppose a, a, again a, a question here in relation to the use of of sex semen, and that it would probably drive up the number of obviously drive up the number of, of beef cross calves increasing the likelihood of them staying in the country rather than being exported where the main export are the 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 dairy dairy uh uh yeah. animals to, in relation to the uh utilization uh the, uh, of grassland uh there's there's a, a a question here in terms of the how you computed the the uh efficiency of utilization of of grassland across the the systems and what kind of of uh, uh actions would be required to to get the increase that you talked about um how, how yeah uh, i guess i suppose two questions here uh, first one um how did we calculate them? 
so that would be using data from the National Farm Survey with, with the average farms there. Uh, so calculating all of the energy requirements uh, for the three farm systems that we work with. Um, for cattle, obviously, there's a split between in the National Farm Survey between uh, cattle rearing farms and then the, the cattle other types. So kind of the, you know, the, um, the fattening farms, I suppose. Um, so so these, these two we have averaged. Uh, and then we have we have certain assumptions within the model, which uh, of the cohorts that I presented are on which on which grassland type. So that's why you know even if even if we go towards a full dairy specialization, we will never see uh, all of the cattle farms kind of uh, being removed, just because uh, I suppose the the uh, all of the offspring that would be used for beef production. Uh, we assume to still be uh, on the cattle farm. So all of these dairy beef cattle that I mm -hmm. talk about, all of them wouldn't wouldn't be on on dairy farms. They would still um, they would still be raised. Uh, kind of as as far as I know, is is the present you know is the uh, the usual way I suppose uh, at present. Anyways, um, so taking these two things into account and then the average areas for uh, according to the National Farm Survey as well. That's how we calculated uh, the uh, the grass and use efficiency, uh, and then the the second uh, second part of the question, I suppose, how how do we how do we close the gap? Um, and I think that's a difficult difficult question to answer. I think one one of the keys is um, one of the keys that is that maybe dairy dairy farms uh, in general might have might have a larger proportion of. Uh, of actual high quality soils in the first place, so it might be an you know an unfair comparison to make uh, from the beginning. Um, but I think uh, there's there's potential there when it when it comes to um, just a, just a um, maybe not even on the pasture grounds, but also in silage areas. You know, just the the, the grazing grazing paddock management, management. And, and things like that. I think that's where where you would hope to get uh, to get the most improvement out of. Daniel, there's a couple of comments. One on, um, do you plan to include sheep in any of your future models? Uh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, we, we've only looked at, uh, at cattle scenarios now and uh, yeah, sheep definitely. So, so the areas in all of the, uh, in all of the, all of the scenarios, uh, the sheep area obviously hasn't changed. So that has been very stable, but, but definitely something for, for the future that we're also investigating. There's, there's a, a question in there that kind of alludes to a, a, a process that we're looking at kind of diverging agriculture into kind of almost two extremes, uh, an extreme animal production system and an extreme, if you want to call it that, in, 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 in forestry, but that there is a general lack of appreciation of, of the potential of that, uh, if you want, lower output but high biodiversity uh, uh, agriculture that, that exists uh, uh, on a lot of of beef and and dairy farm uh, uh, sorry beef and, and and sheep farms in particular and are we undervaluing the the uh, uh, those are that type of farming uh, when we're when we're talking about the biodiversity perspective I would say yes and that's one of the you know one of the Maybe unfortunate parts of uh, of these uh, mitigation uh, scenarios as well with forestry. Um, uh, I don't think at all times are our biodiversity and uh, you know achieving the climate targets in line. Unfortunately, so some scenarios uh, 
some scenarios from from agriculture as well when we talk about for example you know uh, reducing um uh, reducing intensity reducing um average average livestock numbers uh, or stocking rates um and returning them to more of a semi natural state if you will that that would probably do do wonders for the biodiversity but but not necessarily much from from a climate perspective so um, I, 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 unfortunately i don't think these two go hand in hand um of course maybe you could argue that you know creating creating forests on a larger scale uh would kind of create a different kind of biodiversity um yeah i think that's a very difficult thing difficult thing to answer um yeah just one other uh, or may maybe coming back to, to what you asked in the beginning are we are we uh undervaluing what uh what farmers uh what farmers are, are doing and kind of the climate efforts and biodiversity efforts they are putting in um I think when when maybe when I do a presentation like this, it it, it does come across that way, uh, just because we're talking obviously about uh, lowering cattle numbers and um, and cattle farms uh, and uh, and also dairy farms. You know, looking at that from 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 very 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 hard numbers. But but as I said, I, I don't think uh, I actually think that this, or I was hoping now now that we have this discussion, it, it doesn't seem to me that it, that it came across that way. But I actually thought that this this presentation, uh, just showing the potential, actually actually gave a little a bit of hope that we can that there is potential, you know, to free up some land while you know remaining uh, remaining in terms of in terms of overall cattle numbers, and that some of these targets, you know, when we only look at the numbers, um, for example, from the randomized scenarios, there it's very difficult to understand, you know, to, to say, oh, one million, we need one million hectares of, of forest. That's never going to happen. I think showing these pathways on a national scale um, is very important to, to show that, yeah, I, I suppose that there is hope and that, that there are some specific measures, uh, for example, you know, improving uh, improve, improving the grass and use efficiency that, that actually can spare almost half of the land that we're talking about without reducing the numbers uh, of cattle. Um, and then if we combine that with the farm level to, to, you know, actually investigate, actually model how, uh, how we can achieve that, what specific measures can help uh, on a farm level, scaling that up back to the national level, if you will, um, that I think we're, we're, I think we're closer to, to some of these targets that, uh, than, than the numbers appear. Um, Daniel, just one other question there. The, there's a lot of work going on and, and talk at the moment about changing the emissions factors or that the emissions factors may change based on Irish research that we're using non-Irish, if you like, emissions factors at the minute. Do you th Would that have any impact on your work or on the, I mean, obviously, I presume if they are become available, you will include those in your models. But do you think that from what, you, what we know about those factors at the moment, will they make any difference or any, make any dramatic change to your outcomes? um i'm not necessarily sure i yeah i i think to be to be to know exactly how much how much of a difference they would make we we would have to run them in a model so i yeah. I, I would i would stay away I from know. from eyeballing a number right now off the spot um but yeah of course of course like we we you know when when there's when there's new emission factors being published you know we we try to include them obviously yeah and actually someone made a comment there i don't know if it's a farmer or it's uh, an advisor or whoever that you know, good grassland production is still pretty important that we 
we need to be um what you said there a second ago okay and i think we've we've come to or uh, we've dealt uh, with, with most of the questions through all the questions yeah, yeah. Uh, Andy, I think you're, you're you're still breaking up a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah, sorry, I, I did. The connection is uh, is not great today. Listen, uh, th- uh, thank you very much, Daniel. I think thought provoking, uh, as you say. Obviously, you are are pushing the boundaries for us to learn the the potential capabilities. I suspect there's a, a lot of work to do in terms of trying to to build in uh, as well as the uh, the boundaries to start looking at, at what can happen with, with uh, uh, the technologies that we potentially may have to bring to bear on those and, 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 and uh, broadening it out. So I suppose we're, we're probably at the start of a journey rather than at the end of a journey in terms of, of, of the, the analysis and the learning from, from the work that you and your colleagues are, 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 are doing. Uh, so I think, thank you very much. It's, it's given us, I think, a, a very good insight into uh I suppose some of the of those boundaries and 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 the impacts that that some of the 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 actions may have. So th- thanks for your presentation. Uh, Thank you. Uh, next week uh, we'll be we'll be joined by by uh, Declan Byrne. Uh, Declan has been involved with the Suez project for the last number of years. It's an EIP project that has has just finished up, and it's it's very timely given the level of of change of of management that's going to come in under the acres. Uh, cooperation projects that we hear some of the experiences that that the Suez project in Wicklow has in terms of upland management and the actions that farmers are, are taking there. Uh, I'd like to say thanks to our production team, Vandy and Yvonne, and, and Anne, who has joined us uh, uh, today as well to, to assist. And uh, we, uh, have a good week and we'll see you again next week. Thanks very much for joining us today. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.